Hello, and welcome to another episode of Adam's Corner. Here are a few notes about the audio therein. When I was recording this episode with my friend and colleague, Matt Brunson, somehow the USB microphone that I normally use for these recordings on my end of things got switched off. And instead, it opted to record my voice on the microphone that's contained in my earbud, which is not nearly as good as what I would normally use. You'll notice a degrading sound in terms of audio quality. I just wanted to apologize for this in advance. I've worked with it as much as I could on the audio end. It's a little bit better than what it normally would be, but it's still not quite up to my standards. Welcome back to Adam's Corner. I'm your host, Adam Long. It's that time of the month where we do the Blu-ray Roundup. Blu-ray and 4K, I should say. And on this episode, I'm joined by a fellow... Blu-ray and 4K reviewer uh, who was formerly the critic for the greatly lamented late great Creative Loafing, the alternative weekly newspaper that we love so much in Charlotte and unfortunately been gone five years. I can't believe that it's been gone that long. And uh, actually just like five years last month, I believe. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I'm, I'm lucky to be joined by him. I feel grateful to have him on. He's a good friend, uh, has become a friend over the years, and uh, his opinions have always been uh, uh, opinions that I respect, let's just say that. And uh, he's very knowledgeable and very articulate about how he feels about things, and I just always love hearing what he thinks about things, even if we don't, you know, if we, if we disagree every now and then, that's okay. We, but we're pretty close. I would say nine times out of ten, we're right. We're right there, lock, lock and stock and barrel, as they say. I, I don't know, maybe. Uh, anyway, uh, so I'm going to get you to tell us what you've been up to before we get this started since the demise of Creative Loafing and promote your own uh, endeavors that are going on now. Uh, this is Matt Brunson. Yeah, I used to be with Creative Loafing. Uh, now I do my own website, uh, thefilmfrenzy.com. It's called Film Frenzy, but the actual URL is thefilmfrenzy.com. Because as you know with URL, somebody took film frenzy and you know hasn't used it in like 100 years so that's usually the case with these things uh but anyway i used to yeah also uh freelance for a lot of publications around the south uh most prominently the um uh, savannah newspaper alternative newspaper connect uh, but anyway i am happy to be here although i thought we were going to be doing vhs titles not I can't believe I didn't mention your name. What's what the what the hell's wrong with me? <laughs> I'm going through this long intro and didn't even mention your name. Well, you corrected that and thank you. What a dingbat I am. Anyway, uh, so what we do typically here is we just go chronologically with all these titles. Um, and there's probably going to be some you didn't get a chance to look at. Uh, there's some I didn't get either. And then we may, you know, there may be some that we both got a chance to look at, and we can kind of we may overlap a little bit. But if we uh, if there's something we didn't get, we'll just move along. We'll we'll give it lip service and say, hey, this is out there. If you want to see it, and if not, you know, well, whatever. Uh, so anyway, we'll go back to October third. I'm not sure if you got a chance to look at this one or got a review copy. I did not. This is uh, Disney uh, is the distributor on this uh, because they own the uh, 20th Century Fox library, and that's Prey, the latest in the Predator series on 4K. I did not. I hear good things about this. I hear it's one of the better, probably the best of the Predator sequels is what I'm hearing. I don't know if you got a chance to see it. Yeah, I didn't I didn't get that, but when it – I get Hulu, so when it um, mm-hmm. you know, premiered on there a few months after it premiered, I managed to catch up with it. And, uh, yeah, I, I 
quite enjoyed it. Uh, Predator, the original, I remember when I first saw it, I was like, yeah, this is okay. And I saw it when it came out. And over the years, I've revisited many times. I think now it's a really good mm-hmm. action spy movie. And, but yeah, the sequels, I've just, they've all been pretty plain. Uh, <laughs> and this is a, this is going back to a step in the right direction. I think it's um, very well done. Uh, very, very exciting. So it's, yeah, it's, it's the first good one and obviously the best one since the original. Good. Good to hear. I, I have been needing to catch up on it. It's, uh, it's, it's on my to-do list. Uh, it has all my other things. And uh, I do want to see it. I really do. Uh, tr- truly uh, interested in seeing it. Uh, but I'm like you. The original Predator I saw in a theater, and I was always kind of lukewarm on it. I thought it was really took it a while to get going. But as the years have gone on, it has gotten better with repeat viewings, mm-hmm. as you said. So, uh, yes, definitely. Uh, so we'll move on to The Mist. Uh, this is a Lionsgate release, uh, getting a f- the first ever 4K. And I think it's in a still book and a standard 4K edition. It's Frank Darabont's adaptation mm-hmm. of the... Stephen King story from I want to say Skeleton Crew I believe and I was like oh my god when I first read The Mist I read the story I just thought oh I can't wait till they make this into a movie this is fantastic <laughs> blew my mind and uh, I've seen the film but I'll let you tell us what you thought about The Mist and <laughs> your take on it because I know you got a copy of this one yeah yeah um, well I mean Frank Darabont has done three Stephen King adaptations and the two that obviously get the ink are The Shawshank Redemption which I don't know, supposedly the best movie of all time. Anytime I disagree with that, I get hate mail from always men saying, well, I can't repeat what they say. And there's also the Green Mile. And uh, so those are the two Oscar bait ones. But uh, I think the, the Mist is a really, really compelling little terror tale. Uh, I think in addition to its sci-fi elements, I think the whole the whole angle of Marcia De- Gay Harding's character being this like fanatical zealot who like twists things to her own way and manipulates people into following her. That's one of those things that's like as scary as the horror elements of the movie. And then of course that ending is just a knockout. <laughs> Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's so uh, nihilistic, too, compared to what's... Uh, the ending in the original book is more vague. You know, they just kind of drive off, and you know, there, there's a little glimmer of hope. You're not really sure. You're hoping things, you know, maybe somewhere down the line things get a little bit better, but there's no hope at all in this. <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> none, 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 none whatsoever, and it uh, has, has a little bit of a Twilight uh, Zone ironic kind of thing going on there at the end I would say so anyway yeah the mist it's a pretty well done adaptation if you're a but if you're a, a stickler to the original ending uh, just be warned about that if you haven't seen it yet but anyway talk to me I saw this in the theater didn't get a review copy of it another Lionsgate release I thought it was uh, fairly good I don't think it was quite as good as a lot of the uh, the, the people who were just raving about it being the best horror film in years or whatever I don't think it quite reached those levels uh, there's there's definitely some disturbing scenes in here and some effective ones too, um, but and I think you liked this one fairly well and I, I would I guess I would say probably around a B plus or something like that B minus somewhere in that range, but yeah, I um I did like this one I saw this one and um smile uh like back to back and because mm-hmm. yeah you're right I mean every new horror movie it's like oh this is the greatest horror movie since you know Alien or The Exorcist. And they're almost always letdowns. And Smile was too. I mean, it was okay. <laughs> I didn't think it was anything special to warrant all the, the box office and the praise. But so Talk to Me caught me a bit by surprise because I thought, well, this will be more, you know, kind of generic too. But I thought it had some really good elements. And speaking of Twilight Zone, uh, I really like that ending. 
which I was not expecting it to come down. Oh like yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. Well, apparently there's a sequel going into production. It maybe already. Well, I, I don't guess it. Ha- well, maybe it has. I don't know how the Australian because it's an Australian production. So I don't know how that affects with uh, how that's tied into the actor strike here. Maybe it's a different thing. Not sure how that is. So maybe it's being filmed. I don't know. Or maybe it's on hold. But anyway, it's coming. They're forthcoming. There's a sequel on the way. So uh, yeah. And it's amazing these guys that made it uh, because they were, I believe. TikTokers or YouTubers or something just making little videos and decided to uh, make a feature film and I mean hats off to them I mean that's you know at least they put put their money where their mouth was as it were so yeah uh, so Scream 3 I did not get a review copy of this one which is kind of odd because I got one and two the 4k steel books from Paramount did not receive this one and again this is a law of diminishing returns on the Scream films they tend to just kind of get uh, less and less in terms of quality. I know you were never a huge fan of the original one. I, and again, I liked it well enough, but I can't say, again, it's not quite up there. Uh, well, it's nowhere near up there with the level that people uh, claim it to be. So I, I will definitely agree with that. Although, like I said, I like it well enough. I don't hate it, let's say that. But you know. Yeah, I, when it came out, I hated it. But uh, I rewatched <laughs> it, um, and I still think it's kind of mediocre. And... I can't remember which one three is, honestly. I remember seeing the sequels and thinking, oh, actually, maybe it was the newest one that I thought was um, an improvement. Uh, I mean, there's one with Lee Shriver in it. Yeah. Yeah. It, no. <laughs> <laughs> they run together. They really do. One and yeah. I remember the rest, and I think they're all a comparable quality, and I remember liking at least one of the sequels better than the original. So, But, yeah, it's definitely not my favorite franchise. Yeah, I would say the same. Uh, it's and I didn't I you know I, I received the review copy of the latest one that number six and I still haven't gotten around to it because I just kept hearing that it wasn't that good and and it's long it's about two hours and I'm thinking well, I, you know it's I don't know maybe one of these days when I've got two hours to kill but it just hasn't happened yet I do want to see it because I think the novelty is that the the the, uh, the killer is in Manhattan or whatever. I think that's the big thing. Kind of a, a trope that they ripped off from Friday the 13th, number 8 or something, I think. so. Yeah, that, yeah Jason takes that in. Now it was awful. So this one, by comparison, does look like the exit. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I've been hearing. So uh, Night of the Demons, 1, 2, and 3. Uh, the first one, 1988. The second one, 1994. The third one, 1997. These are all... Scream Factory releases. Now, I didn't get any of these, and I know you did, so you can talk to us about these for sure. Uh, yeah, the the first one, I remember, was one of those movies that, you know, did, did respectful for a small-budget movie, and then on VHS, on video, it really took off and got a real cult, and um, so they made sequels kind of spread out, uh, not not like on top of each other, and it's, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a typical 80s excess cheese, but it's, it's fun, nothing... Nothing special, but it's got some good good laughs, and the makeup's pretty cool. And then I'd never seen the sequels before now, and I watched those. And two, um, surprisingly, I thought was maybe even a little better than the first one, uh, which is a real surprise. But then the third one just completely falls off the cliff. <laughs> I didn't care for that one at all. But, uh, yeah, no, overall, I think it's, um, as far as these 80s low-budget things go, I think it's better than, like, the troll series let's say oh gosh yeah. critters anybody <laughs> <laughs> <Leprechaun>. ghoulies <laughs> yeah, yeah. We... <laughs> thank you 
<laughs> we could go, we could go on and on. Yeah. So uh, I'll go ahead and mention one right quick that actually uh, first I think they first started uh, shipping these out in August, but I didn't get one until just October. It was the Legend of Boggy Creek? Uh, this uh, the Charles B. Pierce drive-in classic, as it were. Uh, finally got a 4K release for the first time ever. Uh, the interesting history on the on this film with it was shot in 16 millimeter in the technoscope format, which is a an anamorphic widescreen format, but 16 millimeter. And so the original negatives for this film were apparently lost. And uh, this was a uh, one of those films that were all the rage in the 1970s, especially the early part. It's about uh, I guess it was the film that kicked off the the Bigfoot craze, as it were, because it's about a Bigfoot-type creature in Falk, Arkansas, who's uh, terrorizing the residents there, I guess, in the late 60s. And there is some basis in truth in what happened here, although it's obviously well drama dramatized. The, the movie's incredibly well shot, and it was very effective. I saw it as a kid uh, on local television stations. I think it, it made the country and did very well on the driving circuit, and then it was sold as a part of a TV package, and that's where I caught up with it when I was about 10, 11 years old. And it was, uh, like I said, quite quite scary to me at times, but I can see it from an adult pair of eyes today, and it's you know, not quite as effective as it was, although it has a few moments. And it was, uh, the, apparently in 2018, they found a pristine original uh, print of it. Uh, and it was, they were able to do a meticulous restoration process to get it in 4K with a 5.1 surround soundtrack, as it were, and HDR coding and encoding. And it really looks good. I mean, you know, with 16 millimeter and you blow that up to 4K, there's obviously going to be some picture limitations because it's, it's a different kind of beast from when you're transferring 35 to 4K. And so the detail is just not quite there So if, as long as people know that. But if you're a fan of the movie, it does look as well as it's going to ever look. And there's some pretty interesting silent behind-the-scenes behind footage that's never seen the light of day that they uncovered when they were going through the archives for this. Uh, Charles B. Pierce is long dead. He uh, died, I guess, about close to 15 years ago. And he also, of course, did The Town That Dreaded Sundown, <laughs> another one. Um, that kind of scared me, scared the bejesus out of me when I was a kid. Uh, so he knew how to do this thing fairly well. But, uh, yeah, he, he passed away, but his daughter is behind this new restoration. And uh, I've actually, I'm hoping to get her on the podcast pretty soon. I've reached out to her and she said she'd like to come on and talk about it. So hopefully I want to hear how this, uh, how she found this print and all that stuff. I think there's a story there. So anyway, The Legend of Boggy Creek, uh, technically not an October title, but uh, in order to just mention that uh, it, it's out there. Halloween theme of October. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, and I guess the next one is uh, Don't Look Now, the uh, Nicholas Rogue uh, 1973, I think, horror masterpiece. It's one of my favorites anyway. I remember seeing this film in 1988 uh, in the middle of the night. I caught it and I was about 18 years old in college and just blew me away. I think Cinemax was running at like 2.30, and for some reason I was up at that time, and I just, I don't know, maybe I was doing home, late late night doing homework, I don't know what I was doing, but anyway, I was up, and I saw Don't Look Now for the first time, and when it was over with, I just couldn't get over how, just the sense of doom and for, foreboding, and just, it was just an amazing experience, and it's only gotten more so over the years, uh, directed by Nicholas Rogue, of course, you know, about uh, Donald Sutherland, Julie Christie, parents, grieving parents of a child who died in a tragic mishap, drowned, and so Donald Sutherland, of course, taking on the restoration of a church in Italy, 
and then they run into psychics who claim they've seen the deceased daughter. Donald Sutherland doesn't believe in those sorts of things. Julie Christie does, and well, it leads all of it comes together and leads to a tragedy for all involved, shall we say? Uh, don't want to say more than that. Other Pino Donazio's amazing score led to his career with Brian De Palma. This was his first film as a, as a scoring, as a composer for a, a films. And before that, he was a pop singer in Italy. He actually wrote the song, uh, You Don't Have to Say You Love Me, and had a hit for it uh, in Italy. And then it became a hit for Dusty Springfield in America, and then later for Elvis. So he, uh, he, had qu he has quite an interesting career, and thankfully still among us. Uh, I think he did the scores for the last two De Palma films, so they're still working together, even though those last two De Palma films lacked a little bit in terms of quality. Uh, but uh, Don't Look Now, and it's a new 4K issue by... Um, Criterion, and that's uh, movie. I um, I think yeah. that's one of the greatest one-two punches was Nicholas Rogue doing Walkabout and this movie back to back. Oh, yeah. I think those are two of the best movies. Uh, certainly in the seventies, uh, they're both just four-star classics for me. They're both just, I mean, the stories are fine. The stories are solid, great symbolism, all but the symbolism. But to me, it's the the mood, the colors, the the visual way he shoots that just make both of these movies just so mesmerizing. And oh, yeah. uh, that was also released recently by Criterion, so they're both newly available. Yeah, that's right. I think that was last month, and I had the uh, I had the Blu-ray of it already, and so I uh, felt guilty because I asked for several other things, and I didn't want to you know, ask for too much. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be respectful, so I said, I've already got it on Blu-ray. Okay, I'll just keep my old Blu-ray, and it's fine. But, uh, but yeah, there's no new extras on the Don't Look Now, but the uh, picture is quite uh, – I, I could definitely see an uptick in the picture – uh, it certainly looked much better than it's ever looked before, and this new transfer is approved by Anthony Richmond, who shot the film. So, uh, yeah, if you're a fan of Don't Look Now, it's it's certainly worth picking up, I would say. Uh, I don't think either one of us got this. It came, it came from outer space, the Universal 1953. Uh, they put this out in 4K. Uh, yeah, no, I did it. I did check on it, and they said that one wasn't available. I'd seen it a long time ago. I remember quite enjoying it, but it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, same here, and I... Uh, I would like. I just recently was have gotten a projector that is that's 3D capable, and I really I really wanted it because it's in there's a 3D version on there, and I would like to have had that, but I guess I'll just have to spring for it uh, on my own, <laughs> dig into my pockets. And uh, so Universal, there's a several here we'll talk about right quick. Black Phone is one that Universal has issued on 4K previously on Blu-ray last year when it first came out. And on the disc right after the theatrical release, and I think they're what they're doing. Universal is a lot of people are complaining. They're they're, they're asking why don't they just release them in 4K to start with? And I think they've got a, a wait and see kind of policy where they put these things out on Blu-ray, see how well, how well they do, and if they do well, then they come back and do the 4K. So uh, mm -hmm. I think they did that with Megan earlier this year, and the Black Phones, uh, another one like that. So I know you saw it, and I. I thought it was okay. Again, it was, it's, um, it, yeah, yeah, it's what was, I was talking about earlier, earlier, like smile where everybody's like, Oh, you got to see this. It's amazing. And yeah. I, you know, I thought it was okay. It was passable. Mm -hmm. uh, interesting role for Ethan Hawke, certainly. But yeah, I just, uh, I just thought it got silly. It was good at first. It was really thriller. And then when that came into it, it actually I thought I kind of silly the end. Oh yeah, I, I, yeah, that's the way I felt. And of course, this is based on a book written by uh, Stephen King's son, Joe Hill. So we'll, we'll mention that. <laughs> Although he uh, 
you know, I don't know how, I haven't read the book, so I can't say. Maybe the book's much better, but uh, the, the film, but it did, uh, the one thing I did like about it was uh, the the um, the way they were able to capture the look and, look and feel of 1978 in the movie was amazing. That was that was pretty impressive, I'll, I'll give you that. Uh, they did a very good job of that, but the, but the movie itself just kind of ho-hum for me. Uh, so a couple of the Universal titles have been issued uh, together, but now separately. Got The Bride of Frankenstein, Creature from the Black Lagoon, The Family Opera, The Mummy, all those getting separate 4K releases. Uh, I've got the box set, so no need to get pick those up individually. But you know, what more can you say about them? They're all classics. Yeah, they are. I mean, I'm, those are my favorite horror films, are those universal uh, oldies from the 30s and 40s. And uh, Yeah, you're right. They've, they've been repackaging Packaging and repackaging these so many times. Uh, so if you already have the whole set, you really don't need this spring for individual ones, unless you just want them separated on your shelf. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally agree. Yeah. So the Sting has been reissued in a new uh, Universal Essentials collection in 4K. It was previously issued in 4K before, but this is the Best Picture winner from 1973, of course. You know, a lot of people said that uh, there were other films that were more deserving that year for Best Picture. I don't know. I am a big fan of Paper Moon. We all know that. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> that's a tough one there. But I do yeah. like The Sting. I have a lot of respect for it. And it's a really fun movie with that great Marvin Hamlish ragtime adaptation mm -hmm. of those old Scott Joplin songs. And just there, there's a lot to like about The Sting. So I'm not going to. Oh, yeah. I, I saw this one at a real early age. My mom. Um... My mom didn't usually see movies more than once, but we were living in Portugal, and the suburbs would always have like repeats of older movies. And anytime that came through town, she'd be like, <clears throat> "Excuse me," she'd be like, uh, "Do you want to see it again?" Because <laughs> she just loved Robert Redford. So, and uh, the movie itself, of course, is really, really fun. I think the only one that year I would like more would be American Graffiti, but uh, I oh, know seeing one that's bigger. I agree. American Graffiti may may have a, a little bit up on it in terms of quality but yeah i i you know you can't really argue with the sting I, i'm just i don't get all the the naysayers and all that so anyway there's a uh, justice league trilogy from uh warner brothers i guess it's 2013 to 2021 uh, it's I, I lose track of all these films you get man of steel batman versus superman justice league <laughs> need i say more <laughs> <laughs> well yeah uh, yeah uh, <laughs> Speaking of hate mail, which I did earlier, I think my one-and-a-half-star review for Man of Steel got me more fanboy <laughs> anything I've ever written. Uh, I still think that's, like, one of the worst of the whole of the whole new DC universe. Um, now, Batman vs. Superman, I didn't hate as much as the rest of the world, and then, uh, but I didn't think it was that great. And then Justice League, I just... That was so weird. Everybody's like, this is not a good three-hour movie. Then they come out with like a four-hour version. <laughs> or two-hour and three-hour. I can't remember. But I watched it with the extra hour, and to me, it was absolutely no better. And in fact, in some ways, it was worse than the shorter version. And yet, you look at like the Rotten Tomatoes scores, and one's really rotten, the other one's like really high up. And I, I just don't get that. Because uh, the things they added, like Wonder Woman was like a lot ruler in this one, you know, in the in the original cut, she just, you know, slaps around a few bad guys. In this one, she throws them so hard, their blood's left on the walls. And the <laughs> Flash is kind of a little pervy in this one, which I guess with Ezra Miller in the role, you know, kind of makes sense now. But uh, I just, yeah, the thought of having to sit through that long, long movie again is pretty terrifying. 
I know, and, and it's so uncinematic, too, the, uh, it, because I remember seeing it. it it's in a 1.33 to 1 format, the uh, the box format. I thought, this is a, supposed to be spectacle, a superhero film, and it's shot in a square ratio? What What's going on with that? I, I just, weird, weird, weird. I, I, artistic choices that I don't understand, and maybe that's why I'm not making films. Maybe I'm just not as smart as some of the... Uh, Intelligentsia behind these things. So well, anyway, <laughs> Zack Snyder, don't undersell yourself. <laughs> well, we're already up to October 10th. We'll move along there uh, to Rosemary's Baby 4K, and we'll we'll probably talk about this one later when we get to the uh, the uh, the horror collection that Paramount has opted for. But this is part of that as well. But it's a new 4K release of Rosemary's Baby 55th Anniversary Edition, I guess, and first time it's ever been available in the 4K format. Um, I, di- I didn't get an individual copy of this, but I, I got it as part of the uh, the Paramount Screams collection or whatever. Uh, I, did, I did watch it, and I thought that the transfer was really... I preferred the Blu-ray that Criterion put out a while back, to tell you the truth. I thought there was more detail. It just wasn't that much of an uptick in picture quality. The extras really aren't there. Um, just the extras are much better on the Criterion. The unfortunate thing is the Criterion's out of print because they lost lost their licensing deal with Paramount. So if you have that, which I do, I, I held on to it because there's a 50-minute documentary that's really good that has all the participants uh, who were alive at that time. You've got Polanski and you've got uh, Robert Evans and you've got Mia Farrow. Uh, they're all on camera talking about it. Uh, and it was filmed in 2012, I believe, not long, just, uh, you know, just a couple of years before Evans passed. And uh, they have some pretty strong recollections about making the film. And it's it's not on here because they don't have the licensing rights to that. So I don't know. It's a mixed bag. If you don't have Rosemary's Baby in a high-definition format, it's certainly worth picking up. But if you, if you have the old Blu-ray and you're expecting a major improvement, it's like, no, you're not going to get it, really. So, yeah, we can talk about the... Paramount scare set, I guess, a little more later. But if, if you have the option to just get Rosemary's Baby or paying a fortune for these five movies, I would just get the Rosemary's Baby. Yeah, and especially yeah. if you don't have it. If you don't have it, yeah, it's, you pick it up for sure. Uh, because, like I said, the Criterion is now going for close to $100. I think if you've got that old Criterion Blu-ray. and uh, But, you know, it's it's so this is the more economical way to have it in a high-definition format. Let's say that. Um, so yeah, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs uh, being issued by Disney on 4K. Now Disney has notoriously been kind of lukewarm on their disc releases in the last couple of years. They've been kind of, but now the Bob Iger's back in charge. I think he's more of a disc proponent than the previous management. So uh, I think they're getting back into the game. I noticed they're issuing some of their TV shows on uh, i think loki has been issued in uh, 4k or blu-ray yeah. and so it looks like disney is tentatively getting back into the game the rumor mill says that uh, the abyss true lies and aliens are coming before the year is over uh, no mm-hmm. announcements yet but that's what the word is and i know that the transfers have been approved because they had a, a recent uh, inter- uh screen screening of the abyss and jim james cameron was there and it was with the new approved transfer that he uh, over was overseeing and he it, there, it was supposed to be issued earlier I think but he was so busy with the 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 final adding the final touches to the last Avatar film that he couldn't get it done although maybe he would have been better off uh, working on the Abyss <laughs> although a lot of people love Avatar but I, I just did not for me sorry um, well Disney uh, certainly has a huge influx of new titles uh, on the yes. market uh, 
I think a lot of those, just, you know, the 100th reissue of all their uh, animated classics, but on the, the plus side, they are releasing all their hit series like WandaVision, which I really liked, and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Loki, and uh, several of these, I think the Star Wars ones too, Mandalorian. Uh, I think, yeah. And so anyway, that's great, because, you know, you and I are fans of, of this, so we're glad oh, yeah. that we're doing this, and I know there are others like us, so I'm glad for them. You know, they can pick up all these movies. Uh, it's, it's, it's a good development to see somebody deciding to go back to the physical media. Yeah, and they own the 20th Century Fox Library, so they're basically holding them host- holding the Fox Library hostage at this point. Not to mention the old Touchstone Pictures Library and the Hollywood Pictures Library from 20, 30 years ago. There's a lot of stuff there. I mean, they're, they're basically sitting on money. I don't understand... Why? I mean, you know, I guess disc collecting is the only hobby where people have to beg for the product, which is really crazy if you ask me. You know, and if you put a 4K release out of Tombstone, that thing would sell gang, like gangbusters. I mean, there are enough fans. I mean, I'm not saying Tombstone's my favorite movie, but there are enough fans of it that would just go crazy over a title like that. And yeah. there's so many others that they're just sitting on. Uh, that's part of that they own the control rights to and uh, you know and so Snow White getting a 4k release which didn't get a review copy of it but I'm hearing really good things about it here it's great and I hear the nightmare before Christmas which they've also issued recently uh, just they say there's spectacular transfers mm. and so maybe this is a good sign that we're going to get some some uh, movement you know in terms of the Disney library because there's a lot of money to be made if they'll just do it and put these things out there in these uh, in, in, uh, with these big uh, 100 gigabyte discs with lots of room for the nice bit rates and all that stuff, that would be that would be a dream come true. So we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, yep. So Rise of the Beast, Transformers Rise of the Beasts from earlier this year. Uh, it's a Paramount release. Uh, again, speaking of diminishing returns, I don't know what your uh, I don't know if, I didn't I didn't see this one. I'll be honest. I mean, I just put it in long enough to look at the quality. Quality's good. What do you expect? Uh, you know, from the uh, from recent titles, most of them are, uh, you know, are, are going to be good as as you would expect, and you know. But other than that, it's just not for me. I mean, you know. yeah, the um, I got the um, the Transformers set earlier this year that had mm-hmm. all the leading up to this, and yeah, all my reviews were I think it was like two star, one star, one star, one and a half, one star, one star, and then <laughs> Bumblebee, which everybody else loved, two stars. Uh, so when when I didn't get this one, I didn't even ask for it. I was like not not too upset. I think I could live without seeing the latest one. <laughs> yeah, I felt the same way. So, uh, yeah, but if you're a fan of the Transformers Rise of the Beast, you have... looks fantastic. Yeah. They certainly put their money into that. Yeah, that's true, that's true. And if you have the... Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's better than the Transformers the movie, of course. Uh, I, I, we can pretty safely say that, but... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh my gosh, poor Orson Welles, that that has to be his last credit. (laughs) If only he knew, this is going to be my last credit. I started with Citizen Kane and I ended with Transformers the movie. (laughs) Anyway, um, so A Bronx Tale has been issued by, uh, it's a new company, new label, Tribeca, I guess, uh, because this is a uh, directed by Robert De Niro, so... I guess it's his production company. Maybe he, I guess this is a physical media company that maybe he's involved in somehow. But uh, this is the 30th anniversary edition of uh, Bronx Tale. The uh, it's De Niro's directorial debut about mm-hmm. a, a local father. Uh, I'll get it out. Devoted father battling a local mob boss for the life of his son. That's the easiest way to put it. 
Uh, so I'll just re read, read the copy there. It's easier than me trying to recapsule in recap. Recap the entire plot. I'll get it out. Uh, so anyway, well-reviewed, and uh, Chaz Palamentari and Robert De Niro starring in this, of course. And I don't know what your thoughts are. I always thought it was good of its type, as the saying goes. Yeah, with uh, yeah, when you look at Robert De Niro making a movie with a gangster, you're thinking, okay, it's just him ripping off Scorsese. But it's not. It's uh, it's it's, it's his own movie, mm -hmm. and it was based on a, a play that Chaz Palminteri had written. So it was like a you know pet project between the two of them. One directed, one writing, and they're both starring in it. And uh, I think it's a really nice movie. It's got real, real color, real flavor with all the supporting characters. Uh, the acting is really quite good, obviously, with those two. But even the, all the younger actors in the movie do a great job. And then, like, with, you know, with mob movies, it's always funny because you always have these characters with colorful names like, you know, Jojo the Whale and Nick the Nose. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it's always worth a laugh just for that. But, no, I think it's a solid movie in its own right. Yeah, yeah, I do too. I, I, I do. Um, so speaking of these horror films of late that are getting Blu-ray releases, then six months down the line getting a 4K, Megan, that's another one. I just mentioned it. Well, uh, this one did get a 4K release and made a pretty good bit of money back in January. It was a surprise hit. I, I did, uh, it was number one at the box office for several weeks. I did see it. I thought it was okay of its type. Again, maybe not quite as good as everybody would suggest, uh, but uh, as the word would suggest, but... Solid. Uh, didn't, didn't mind it. Um, don't know that I'll ever return to it. But uh, uh, anyway, this is. I did the, think it was a little better than um, a lot of the the, the these overhyped ones. I yes. There, there yes. was enough in this one to make it uh, interesting. I thought uh, some really again some really good performances in this one. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, James Wan, you know, he's like his own factory now, just churning out you know horror movies <laughs> yeah. uh, so you see his name on it and you're like okay we're gonna get more of the same i thought this one was a little bit different i mean not really different because it's about another you know in the child's play vein or you know Android. oh yeah uh but i thought they did enough with it to make it interesting by making the little girl befriending another little girl and uh i thought it's good English. and i have to assume i think there's a sequel to this one too i mean obviously anything that makes money is gonna have a sequel. oh yeah yep yep gotta do it gotta do it yeah, commerce rules. <laughs> so Pumpkinhead getting a 4K release from Screen Factory. Didn't get a review copy of this one. This was the directorial debut for Stan Winston, the legendary makeup effects artist. And uh, Pumpkinhead, I, again, I always thought it was a solid horror film. Didn't hate it, didn't love it. Somewhere in the middle for me. I don't know what your feelings were on it. but I saw it only back uh, when it came out and honestly I remember nothing about it and like you say they didn't have a uh, advanced copy available for that one but it is what I'm interested in checking out again because I like obviously Stan Winston's, Stan Winston's work and Lance Henriksen's so I'm looking on enough chance I think I was kind of lukewarm on it back in the day but you know I was I was in my 20s then what did I know anything you know so <laughs> <laughs> you might feel differently now you never can tell that's true um well, speaking of Shout Factory, they've also put out Wallace and Gromit, the complete cracking collection. I think this is a collection of all their uh, the comedic adventures of the eccentric, absent-minded inventor Wallace and his loyal anthropomorphic dog Gromit. I think it's all the uh, the animated shorts, maybe I believe it is from uh, Nick it, Park. It is the animated shorts plus they did that Kraken uh, Contraptions short series. And okay, that's right. Yeah, it's boxed them all and. Uh, I'm like those people who loved Bruce Springsteen before Born in the USA, you know, who were like, I knew him when. 
I was kind of the same way with the Wallace and Gromit because I remember I first caught them before they were known by anybody here, and I just had to rave about them in print. Uh, I think the shorts are just wonderful. They're they're one of my some of my favorite animated works. So anybody who's not discovered them yet, I would say get this set. I think it does have everything except their one feature length movie, the uh, Oscar winning Were Rabbit. So. Yeah. 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 They are good. They they are they are very very good. I I totally agree. So no argument there. Um, so Friday the Thirteenth, the original 1980, getting the umpteenth reissue on 4K, new packaging I think from Paramount nothing other than that nothing new there but just wanted to mention it and this uh, Winnie the Pooh horror film that uh, I think Disney was thinking about taking legal action called Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey Shop Factory <laughs> is issuing that it's, uh, they couldn't use this to, the, the actual likeness of Winnie the Pooh they had to change his likeness or something and it's a uh, it's a uh, Pooh and Pickle going on a rampage after Christopher Robin abandons them folks what more do you need so uh, uh. <laughs> And they did that with that Banana Splits movie a few years ago, too. They turned that, uh, one of the Banana Splits characters into, like, a killer. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know where this is going. I guess we're going to get Snoopy next as an ass murder. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yep, you never can. You never know. Um, would not surprise me. So, let's see, we're about to be done with October the 10th, and there's a new company, this is weird, I don't think you and I have discussed this, I don't know what this is all about, there's a company called Variety Films, and apparently they're going in there and they're th uh, get, getting, uh, putting together 3D versions of films that weren't shot in 3D from the 50s, and Invasion of the Body Snatchers is one of them, and I don't, uh, I don't know anything about this, haven't gotten any press releases, or is this anything about this company, Variety Films, but... Uh, I am curious how the, uh, what the uh, Invasion of the Body Statures of 1956 would look like in uh, in 3D. So. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. It's uh, it's kind of weird how they were doing this. Like you said, they, these movies weren't in 3D, um, and it's not like they have the technology like you know James Cameron. He turned Titanic into 3D, which I thought was amazing. I think it's one of the best 3D movies I've seen. But with with something older, I mean, like fun, part of the fun of House of Wax is you know they're hitting that paddle ball right at the screen. And, mm -hmm. Yeah. Since they don't do anything like that in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, I'm not sure what what's going to be significant about it in 3D. Yeah, I'm not sure about that either. I, I don't know, but uh, I would be curious if the price was right to uh, give it a try. We'll, we'll see. Uh, so the 2023 film Strays, it's uh, the animated, uh, I guess it's, uh, not, I don't know that it's animated. I think it's live. I didn't see it, so i got to admit that it's the Universal putting this out. It's uh, Band and Dog teams up with other Strays to get revenge on his former owner, featuring voice talents of Will Ferrell, Jamie Foxx, Isla Fisher, Will Forte. Uh, didn't do very well at the box office. I know that. They had high hopes for it, but uh, didn't didn't quite make the grade in terms of the uh, return on investment, I don't think. But anyway, if you have an interest in strays, it's, uh, it is out there as well. You know, it seems like to be that new wave of, um, you know, making movies that look like kids' movies but are really raunchy comedies for adults. And yes. Like Sausage Party was kind of the same way. Oh, yeah. uh, so I've not seen this one. I have no idea if it's good or not. Yeah, I don't either. Maybe at some point. Maybe at some point. I think Westworld, the complete series, has been issued. Yeah, it's um, 2016 to 2022, all four seasons. Uh, Warner Brothers putting this out. This is worth noting because Westworld has been removed from the Max, formerly HBO Max, streaming app. 
they have taken it down, or, or they are in the process of doing that. So if you want to see Westworld, the only way to get it is to get it on disc. And this is one of the problems that we have in this era of streaming, is that the streamers control what we see, as opposed to the past, where we control what we watch, because we had curated a library of films. We don't have that anymore, and I, I think they, uh, they enjoy having that power, but I'm, I, I like being able to... And this is a this is a good example of that type of thing happening, and so I just wanted to mention that it is uh, that uh, Westworld is available all four seasons of Blu-ray in case you uh, don't want to miss having it at oh, your. It's a perfect example because uh, you know some people are like, why do you want physical media? You know we can have everything we want right here on streaming, but you're right. If, if they're charged with it, they can't come into your house and take your disc, but. They can pull it from their streaming channel, and then you're nothing if it's something you really want to watch. I mean, you could hunt it down, but I'm just saying for simplicity's sake, it, it's a problem when they take down stuff that you really want to keep. Yeah, yeah, it, it really is. You're right. And so uh, that's that's the danger that people are not talking about. So uh, I think it's worth mentioning. And that's a whole other discussion that we could have that would go on for quite quite <laughs> a while. Um, so Barbie has been issued in 4K. I guess one of the biggest grocers of the, uh, the box office year, maybe the biggest. I, I'm losing track here, but I'm thinking it is. And uh, I liked it well enough. Um, I thought it uh, kind of ran out of steam before it was over with. I thought uh, they, they, with the Ken character, they kind of didn't know exactly what to do with him as the film neared its completion. So <laughs> I felt like that's where it kind of ran out of steam a little bit for me. But I laughed quite a bit in the early going. And, um, uh, there, you know, there were things I liked about it. Uh, I wasn't crazy about it as, as most of the, the movie going public, but I didn't hate it. You know, it's it's uh, so but there's yeah, that's probably, probably our biggest disagreement. on Yeah, show. sure, sure. I think we're going to get behind the buildings and with knives out. After <laughs> uh, I, I had a real blast with this one. Uh, the whole uh, Barbieheimer thing. I was yeah, yeah. Any other one of them. Uh, I just thought it. It just the, the look of it when it began, I was like, this is just such a good looking movie. And of course, it's going to be with those colors, but I just thought they were real innovative with the way they shot it. And then all the subtext there, uh, the feminist subtext, the whole masculine male tox toxicity, mm -hmm. I thought all that was very well handled. Uh, so I had a real good time with it. And Brian Gosling, you're right, I mean, he's, he's hilarious in this movie. Uh, he, he's kind of a scene stealer, a, a scene stealer, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's clever in spots. I mean, when it, for, you know, there's the opening that's an homage to 2001, and that's terrific. <laughs> yeah. That's great. I mean, I love it. Yeah, that kind of stuff, I, I, I'm all there for it. So, but yeah, I, um, like I said, I did not hate it. Didn't don't don't think it's a, a bad film by any stretch of the imagination, but just wasn't quite as over the moon as as a lot of folks were. But that's okay. Um, you know, uh, so we got the. You know, I didn't get this one. You did the. Uh, the Todd Browning sideshow so, side show, side shockers. I'll get that. I'll say that three times fast. This is a collection of three of Todd Browning's films, Freaks, The Unknown, and The Mystic. Of course, Freaks being the one that we, that we all know and love. But then these two lesser-known films have been included, uh, and there's a whole bevy of new extras that are in this set. So you can tell us a little bit about, uh, about your thoughts on this set that Criterion has sought to release in conjunction with the Warner Archive. I think there was a co-production between those two companies. Yeah, uh, Criterion's really knocking it out with some of these sets. This one, you know, you would think, okay, Freaks has been out before, I think, from Warner Archive, I believe it was, 
And so you're like, okay, it's a natural for Criterion. But to go that extra step and find the other two films of Todd Browning's, you know, that were sideshow shockers because he began his career working with the circus. He was everything. There was a clown. He was, a, you know, Barker at the front. He, he was one of the, you know, performers. Uh, so he had a lot of background material, and he made Freaks. And then uh, before that, he had made a couple of um, silent movies. One was The Unknown with uh, Lon Chaney and Joan uh, Crawford, which, you know, he has people, have they ever been in a movie together? They'd be like, no, but they were. This was really early in her career, and, of course, he was already a star by then. And that's a really interesting movie. And then The Mystic is one, like, I didn't even know about that one. And that's yet another one that kind of has a sideshow angle to it. But the real prize here, obviously, is Freaks. This is a movie that was banned in England for 30 years. Uh, it's controversy wherever it played, but it's just such a mesmerizing movie. Uh, it's it's so sympathetic to its protagonist. Uh, and it's just, I, I think it's a, a, a wonderful movie. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's I have the old DVD uh, that was, as you mentioned, from Warner Brothers originally and uh, long out of print, I believe, or I think it was out of print in the Warner Archive reissued or something like that. But uh, yeah, uh, I, I want to pick this up. And now that the Criterion sale is going on as we uh, record this, I'm probably going to try to get that before the sale goes off because I definitely I requested it, but I guess they didn't have enough to go around. But yeah, yeah you're right. Uh, everything you said about that, I echo those sentiments. And I can't wait to see those other two films, which I have not seen. Now, if they can only find London After Midnight, that's the long-missing uh, Todd Browning film that uh, was supposedly lost in the tragic MGM fire of 1967, I believe it was. So there's a few stills left, but that's it. That's all we have. Uh, so uh, speaking of horror films, another one, The Last Voyage of the Demeter, which was taken from a chapter from Bram Stoker's Dracula, where they're moving the body of the uh, – yeah, the um, – Dracula is being transported on the ship, and they, so they made an entire film out of this, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I did not get around to seeing this. I'm hearing mixed things. Some people say it's not bad of its type, and some people say that it's not so great. So I don't know. I think you did get a chance to see this one, did did you not? Yeah, yeah I did. I fall on the thumbs up side. Okay. I thought it was. I thought it was really interesting because it's one of those where you're like, you know, how could they do a whole movie mm -hmm. out of just a chapter? But you know, we've had stuff like that before, kind of with like, um, you know like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, where they take stuff that's kind of not really written in the in the source of the novel or play, and then they expand it into a whole movie. And that's what they do here, is they just take a few diary notes of the captain on the ship and manage to make, like, what, you know, what they imagined was happening all throughout it. And I thought it was very well, it did very well in that regard. It's more more alien type in that, you know, there's going to be people knocked off one by one. But the atmosphere, I think, actually reminded me more of Nosferatu, both versions, than of Dracula. Because it's, it's the uglier type vampire, not the small one. And um, I thought it was well done. It's a guy who did Troll Hunter, and I thought that was a really fun movie, and I think this one would follow. Yeah, uh, that's that's high up on my list to get, and in fact, I, I may take take a look at that tonight because I've been putting it on the back burner. So that that might be tonight's viewing, actually. Um, mm -hmm. So the Blob. Speaking of horror films, a uh, 4K re reissue of or 4K upgrade, I should say, Screen Factory uh, doing the honors on the Blob from 1988. I remember seeing this in a theater. I w it was myself and my friend. We went on a weekday night, the week of its release. We we're the only two people in the entire theater. 
Yeah. And we loved it. We absolutely loved it. Now, this was the late 80s, and, you know, it, it was the times were different. But we thought for a remake, it really was well done. And so, uh, you know, I still enjoyed it. I don't know that, that I quite enjoyed it as much as I did upon that first viewing, but it, it, was a, it was a blast the night we saw it in that empty theater. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of people love that one. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not one of my. Yeah. I, a couple times over the years, just trying to get what everybody else got. I think a lot of the problem for me is I think Kevin Dillon is so miscast in this yeah, movie. Yeah, that is true. But, and I just thought it was it kind of had a little more mean spiritedness to it than the original with Steve McQueen, which I'm a fan of that one. I think that's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but I, I just I don't know. This one just didn't work for me. Yeah, I I don't like it as much as I did uh, originally. Uh, I, I will say that I can see its flaws more clearly now than I could then. But, uh, yeah, there's still some set pieces in the film that still work. So uh, a mixed bag, as it were. But, uh, you know, uh, if you're a fan, there you go. It was uh, going for high dollars for a while when the Twilight Time Blu-ray went out of print and uh, going for about 100 bucks. But then Shop Fa- uh, Screen Factory put a Blu-ray out of it a couple of years ago. Now they've been the 4K, so I... Uh, I think you can uh, your Twilight Times not worth a whole lot these days. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hope you sold while you had the opportunity. Uh, yeah. Yes. So uh, the best of times with Robin Williams, and Kurt Russell. This comedy uh, directed by Roger Spottiswood about uh, two former high school football rivals who decide to have a rematch. And it's a mixed bag. You know, it was that Robin Williams time? His career was kind of ramping up a little bit, and uh, you know. Yeah, he really had this dead zone between, um, I think it would be World According to Garp and Good Morning Vietnam. Which yeah, really that's true. That's true. Jump started his career. Uh, and yeah, this is just, I mean, it's just formulaic stuff. I remember when this it came is. out, the spring release. It's Robin Williams and um, Kurt Russell. And it's just Robin Williams doing a shtick, which, you know, sometimes could be tiresome and it doesn't really work in the context of this movie. Uh, it's one of those underdog movies, but it's been done better a million times before. Yeah, and surprising that it's written by uh, Ron Shelton, who went on to do... Very uh, surprising, because Bull Durham is my favorite sports movie. Uh, I think uh, yeah, terrific movie. I was just getting ready to say, it's just a couple of years later, he was... Uh, and maybe maybe uh, he didn't like um, the, the way this movie was executed, and that led him to, who knows, <laughs> do his own thing. <laughs> so maybe, maybe it did have its... Uh, maybe there was some good... Uh, yeah. Silver lining in that cloud. Uh, yeah, so this is a Kino Lorber re- release, and there's a, a looks like a new commentary by Spottiswood and Ron Shelton. Anyway, theatrical trailer. Uh, the Desperate Hours, the Humphrey Bogart home invasion film, has been issued by Arrow for the first time ever. I think this is originally a Paramount release, I, I think. And, uh, yeah, this is pretty effective of its type, but much better than the remake, let's uh, say, of the Michael Trevino. <laughs> Not a good remake, despite uh, Anthony Hopkins and uh, Nicky Pork. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the book is definitely the better one, definitely. Yes, for sure. And a, a good transfer on this, too, I might add. It's, uh, well, you know, the, the black and white stuff really, you know, usually sparkles in these Blu-ray upgrades and 4K upgrades, and this is no exception. And there's some new extras here, too. So and I think it's a limited edition, so get it while you can, folks. Uh, the Haunted Mansion, uh, the new version of the Haunted Mansion, not the Eddie Murphy 4K release of that from Disney, and this didn't do a whole lot theatrically when it came out earlier this year, so I don't know. But um, neither. <laughs> can't really say anything, and we'll just move along. Uh, the way we were, we were talking about this right before we started uh, rolling the uh, record button there, and uh, this has been is- issued in a 50th anniversary edition. A previously, 
out on Blu-ray from Twilight Time, and then uh, Sony, I think, put it out on DVD about 25 years ago. And it's considered to be one of the great screen romances. Barbara Streisand, Robert Redford, uh, they, you know, they're deeply in love, but their political differences tear them apart. And Barbara Streisand was apparently not happy with the a couple of scenes that were left on the cutting room floor that she felt uh, made things a little clearer as to why they left in the the film. And she's she was able to they gave the footage to her and she's kept it all these years. And so they finally gave her the ability to put that to reinstate those two scenes back into the film so now you've got a choice with this new 4k edition you can see the film as originally intended by director Sidney Pollack or as originally intended by Barbara Streisand so take your pick folks and all the archival extras have been retained and uh, the uh, like I said 4k upgrade on the picture too so 50th anniversary of the way we were and I know you were saying that you really like uh, Barbara Streisand's performance in this yeah, I think it's probably her career best, and it's interesting because this was the same year that Redford did The Sting, so you know he yeah. was certainly saw his bonanza and got his only Oscar nomination as Best Actor for The Sting. But I imagine it was probably a combination of getting this big hit and that one that probably helped. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a good movie, and like I said, she's terrific in it. Yeah, I can't wait to uh, finally. I've, I've supposedly got one on the way. I haven't gotten to look at it yet, but I I cannot wait to see this extended version. See if it really does make the difference. Uh, as suggested. So there's a new documentary about the creation of RoboCop called uh, RoboDoc, the creation of RoboCop, and supposedly has the participation of everybody, including Peter Weller, and he's previously not uh, participated in any of these documentaries or fan-type things. Uh, he just doesn't want to be bothered, and they somehow managed to get him on board along with everybody else who is uh, alive, that is. And uh, this is a four-hour documentary very comprehensive and uh, I was listening to a podcast interview with these guys who made this and it's the story behind how they managed to put this together is is as interesting as probably the film is itself I really want to see this uh, and it's like I said really all the nuts and bolts that you would ever want to know about Robocop is uh, supposedly explored here it's uh, and it's a fan-funded documentary too but it is out on blu-ray and uh, you, you can have it for about 20 bucks I think but I, I don't I haven't gotten it, but I, I want to really soon because I love RoboCop and want to... Uh, and they, they're saying now that they may actually do one on RoboCop 2 and what went wrong with it, which I think would be interesting because it is a flawed film for sure. And I would like to know, yeah, for sure. And I would like to know what, what went wrong. I, I would be interested in seeing a documentary about the original vision for RoboCop 2 and where it all... Uh, took a downward turn. <laughs> Hope it happens. Anyway, so Douglas Fairbanks double feature, The Three Musketeers and the Iron Mask. This is a co media release, 1921-1929, uh, silent films. Uh, I didn't. I don't believe I got these. Uh, I got the uh, Robin Hood, but I didn't get this one. Yeah. So did you pick? Did, did they send this one to you? The... No, I didn't get this one. Uh, I've been getting all their Buster Keaton ones, which has been a delight. But yeah, um, and they have good. Now, but no, not this one. Okay, yeah, so we'll move along there. Uh, so we're almost to October 24th. We're getting towards the end of the month. Uh, I promise I'm going to roll through these real fast. Uh, let's see, Smokey the Bandit getting a 4K release. I think this may have been a 4K, uh, may have been issued for the uh, four, uh, 35th, or I'm sorry, 45th last year, but uh, they reissued it with new packaging. There's a belt buckle on the front of the slipcase of Smokey and the Bandit, but uh, other, than that, other than that, I don't think there's anything new. Uh, the Johnstown Flood is a 1926 silent film. You did get this one, and you can maybe talk about this one a little bit. Um, 
Oh yeah, it's a it was it was a big hit in its day, and it's one of those that you know everybody's like, oh CGI is you know great. This is one of those you could point to non CGI visual effects and just show how remarkable. Uh, they were. This was obviously with the title. It's about a real life flood that wiped away a whole town, and um, it, the effects are just astounding, especially for the time. And there's a part where uh, the heroine, who is Janet Gaynor, who uh, she won the very first Academy Award for Best Actress, not for this film, but she's like riding a horse, like just staying right ahead of the flood that's roaring after her, and it it doesn't look hokey. I think it looks fantastic. So this would definitely be a silent I would recommend. Well, good to know. Yeah, I need to uh, – I, I wish I had requested this when I wasn't sure, and I, I now regret not having done it because it, it does sound really, really good. Um, so, yeah, uh, there's a documentary out now called The Lost Week, uh, the Lost Weekend, A Love Story. Yes, uh, this is uh, about the 18-month love affair between John Lennon and May Pang. This is a universal release. No extras on this. I finally did watch this last week. And this was quite good. Uh, I was very moved, especially toward the end of the film, where you find out that May Pang, who, like I said, it was basically John Lennon was with Yoko Ono. He just took a sabbatical from their relationship, and he spent 18 months with his secretary, May Pang, before returning to Yoko Ono. And, uh, but she was instrumental in helping him mend his relationship with Julian Lennon. And there's a scene at the end of the film where they are reunited on camera that's really moving. I, I gotta say, uh, it just really tugs at your heartstrings, and you can see their genuine affection for each other. And there, there's tons of snapshots, photos that have never been seen before that she took during their time together. And uh, it's it's a pretty there's you know it starts out kind of in the uh, spirit of like one of these uh, direct to Netflix type movies and at first you're like I don't know about this but as it goes on it gets better and better and better and by the time it's over with you really feel an emotional uh, pull from, from the movie I, I really enjoyed uh, The Lost Weekend a love story and I don't think it's streaming anywhere I think the only way to get that's on disc so I am so glad I got a chance to, to see that release from Universal and I wanted to mention that um, so we have Shortcomings which is another one of my favorite films of this year a film by Randall Park, and it's based a, on a graph. It's adapted from a graphic novel. I love this movie. I was really surprised. Sony sent me a screener for this earlier this year. It was a Sony Classics release, and it's basically about a film student who's finding trouble getting his film career going, and he's running a a, a film a movie theater. I believe it's in I want to say in San Francisco. He's running a, a repertory theater. And his just life is going nowhere, and then his girlfriend leaves him, and she wants to pursue uh, her own career in New York City, and he's he just doesn't know what to do with himself, and he's floundering, and and it's re there's some really funny scenes in this movie, and just it's it just I don't know um, it really hit home for me. I, I identified with the main character in a lot of ways, and so I just was totally surprised. I didn't expect anything from this movie because there's so many of these Sony pictures classics i'm so glad they still have an independent distribution arm out there doing this work but uh i wasn't you know you, there's so many of them and, and some of them are okay just merely okay but this one was really good it's like i said certainly going to make my top 10 list for the year so shortcomings out from sony uh releasing sony classics sony pictures all that uh yeah so uh, and i don't know i think there are a few i don't know if there are any extras on, no no extras on this but anyway i would recommend it and there's a couple of film movement titles here. I think you got these too. We got uh, 
uh, based on the best-selling memoirs of French novelist uh, Marcel Pagnol, and the, he's the, uh, the acclaimed author of Jean de Florette and Men of the Spring, My Father's Glory, and its sequel, My Mother's Castle, recounts the nostalgic memories of his youth growing up in Provence at the turn of the 20th century. Didn't get around to seeing this, but um, it's called uh, Two Films by Yves Robert, Marcel Pagnol, My Father's Glory, and My Mother's Castle from Film Movement. Yeah, I'm looking forward to those because I'm a huge fan of Jean de Florette and Manon of the Spring, mm -hmm. so their two-part movie sounds good to me yeah i uh, hope to get to these really soon they're again at the top of the list it just there's only so much time uh and then passion is another film movement release and this is uh both of these are blu-ray releases this is from the director of drive my car one of his earlier films i think maybe it's uh i think it's his feature film debut yeah um so uh again pretty well reviewed i think so i'm watching that one tonight so uh tomorrow you can record a little segment and kind of Scotch tape it to the end. Of the <laughs> there we go. They get there. <laughs> so we'll, do. we'll stick it in there. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah. So we're getting on to the uh, and um, I think there are a few Universal reissues. I think you might have gotten a couple of these. There's Carlito's Way and there's uh, Animal House. Uh, you know, I don't know what more we have. Backdraft. I don't know what more you can say about these. I mean, they're well. Backdraft has its moments. It's not a great film, but a solid film. Carlito's Way and Animal House are great. I think so. You know, and Blue Crush. Yeah, you got that one, I think. <laughs> yeah, I got all four of them. Uh, yeah, it's quite the mixed bag. Animal House, of course, is a wonderful comedy. And Carlito's Way, yeah, it's one of the uh, good, what would you call it, mid-career or later career? Late career, I would say, yeah, yeah, uh, it was. Yeah, it's with Pacino and one of his good post sin of a woman performances. <laughs> uh, he's just hammy as hell in that one. Uh, and after that, I think he just started chewing the scenery way too much. But I think along with Heat, this is one of his better controlled performances. Uh, so it's a good little little crime thriller. <laughs> yes. Well, hoo-ha indeed. <laughs> yeah, so we'll move on to October 24th. We're getting closer. Uh, the Others, starring Nicole Kidman, of course, from 2001, not to be confused with the 1972 horror film, but uh, it's a love of mine, The Other, of course. This is a, quite a different film, a ghost story, I would call it. Uh, yeah, uh, getting a first ever Blu-ray release. This is a, I think, I believe this was a Disney title. One of those, uh, one of their subsidiaries, I believe, put this one out back in the day. And Alejandro Amenabar directing this, and I saw this in a theater and liked it well enough. I, I think it was pretty solid. Some spooky moments there. Uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of this one. Um, I remember seeing that screening too, and uh, yeah, uh, the everybody leaving the theater was just like, wow, Nicole Kidman in this movie, mm -hmm. really incredible. And this is the year she got uh, nominated for Moulin Rouge. Uh, I think she's much more effective here. This is a, I think, a really good terror tale. It's kind of in the vein of all the old classics like The Haunting and The Innocents and such. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. It, it is highly recommended. I'm sure this new transfer is uh, great in 4K. I, I, I'm so glad it's out there. I hope, again, probably we'll pick this up at a uh, Criterion sale eventually. Cujo in 4K, I know it was always a mixed bag for you. I, I generally liked it. Uh, I like the fact that they were able to streamline King's novel into this 90-minute film, which in, in this day and age that we live in where <laughs> everything's so bloated, it's, so, it's refreshing to see a compact film like this and uh, it, it has its moments I would say and uh, I hear the transfer is decent enough uh, but not a terrific upgrade over the Blu-ray I didn't get the 4k of it uh, but I'll let you take it from here because you did so oh uh, yeah I'm, I'm 
there's so many Stephen King movies that it's such a range, and I think this is one of them that falls more in the middle. I liked it overall. Uh, I think it's really hard. As you say, they streamlined the novel, which is great, because how often can you do that? Except for the ending, which obviously got changed drastically. Mm -hmm. It's pretty much the novel. I just always felt like this was a it just always felt like a slider book of his uh, when I read it as a, in, in my teens and it, the movie kind of feels the same way to me it's it's as well directed as it could be but it didn't grab me with its story as much as I thought it would uh, but Dee Wallace I think she's a terrific actress and I always enjoy watching her and she's great in this oh yeah she is absolutely yeah no no argument there and, uh, yeah, she should have at least gotten an Oscar nomination at least once, maybe twice in her career. And it's a shame that never happened. But, uh, anyway, uh, so Rock Around the Clock, we'll go ahead and talk about that one. I think uh, you recently watched this one. Bill Haley and his Comets, uh, one of two films I think they made. I believe, what was the other one? Don't Knock the Rock, I believe, which is <laughs> not available on Blu-ray. But this one, Sony has seen fit to put out uh, Rock Around the Clock, which is uh, also features uh, the Platters and the Ernie Freeman combo. I my dad was a big fan of Ernie Freeman uh, growing up in the uh, 50s as he did. And so I was familiar with him. And uh, there's Alan Freed, the, uh, the the man who coined the term rock and roll or, uh, or is known for it. I don't know if he did or not, but supposedly he's known for it at least. So you can tell us a little bit about this because I didn't get around to looking at it yet. Yeah, it's one of those uh, you kind of stuck up on me that you're like, wow, I can't believe they put that one out on Blu-ray. Not that it's bad, or I mean, it did well at the box office. It's just it seems to have been forgotten a lot. But yeah. it's real pivotal in the history of rock movies. Uh, the Blackbird Jungle was the first movie that was considered to have used a rock and roll song, and they used Rock Around the Clock. And then this came out the following year when you know people were like, "Hey, this rock might stick around more than just a few months." So uh, they made this movie and they packed it. You know, it's one of those that's got an okay storyline, nothing special, but they pack it with all these incredible musical numbers. Uh, the Platters are just fantastic. They do The Great Pretender and Only You. And then, of course, you have um, Bill Haley and his <coughs> his comments uh, as the headliners. And there's just a lot of great musical numbers in here. It's just a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I look forward to, to catching up with that one. I have Don't Knock the Rock on DVD, actually. My dad... I had a copy of that, and I picked up his, uh, yeah, I got that when he passed away. I inherited that from his video collection. I've kept it. It's still here. So that would make a good double feature, I guess, <laughs> at some point. Yeah. So The Muppets Take Manhattan getting a 4K release. Isn't it interesting that The Muppets Take Manhattan is getting a 4K release before The Muppet Movie, which goes back to our uh, our older uh, conversation uh, earlier in the show, where we talked about Disney sitting on their films, and they control the rights to the first two Muppet films. And they've done nothing with them. And so uh, Sony has uh, the Muppets take Manhattan, so they, they, they went ahead and put it out there on uh, 4K. So thank goodness for them doing that. That's uh, Yeah, the Muppet movie should definitely have been out by now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's a travesty that it hasn't been. But anyway, it's out there. Messiah of Evil, 1973, Radiance Films, uh, releasing this one in blue on Blu-ray for the first time ever. Now, again, this is one I didn't get, but you did. So you can, again, talk about this one. This one... Yeah, this one really surprised me. It's really quite interesting. It's the people who ended up writing American Graffiti with George Lucas, just like the following year, and then they wrote Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and then they wrote and directed Howard the Duck. And that was kind of it for them. But uh, <laughs> this is nothing like any of those movies. It's just one of those really atmospheric early 70s movies, the type, you know, like, let's scare Jessica to death, and, you know, children shouldn't play with dead things. They have this really weird 
aura ambience to them. Uh, I think this one's better than those. It's got a more interesting story, uh, more interesting characters and actors in it. Uh, so I really like this one. I thought it was a, a solid little piece of early 70s horror. Yeah, I uh, I hate that I didn't get this one because I, I would definitely like to see this one for sure. And so I, again, may have to pick it up at a sale or something because I, I, I hear good things about it. I think it's screening 35mm this month at the New Beverly, I believe it is. They're, they're doing a revival screening of that, I believe. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that that would be interesting to catch that on in a theater, I, I think. Uh, so yeah, the Toxic Avenger collection, 4K, Troma, putting this out, uh, all four of the Toxic Avenger films. The first one I'm a big fan of. I I like it quite a bit. Uh, you know, it's definitely of questionable taste. We shall say that. Definitely politically incorrect, but it's it's a hoot. I saw it back in the day and liked it a lot. I could not believe how bad the second and third films were compared, considering it was mostly the same creative talents, a different writer, I believe, but other than that, the same people, by, I'm like, it's like night and day. <laughs> yeah, really, yeah, you're right. I mean, the first one is a, a lot of fun. Uh, I, I saw it back in the day on uh, VHS, though, not in a theater. Yeah. I mean, you know, played in theaters, but um, it, yeah, it's, it's a very raunchy, rude movie, but it's very funny. And then, yeah, the sequels, it is a lot of the same people, and it's like, how could these have just tumbled so badly? Because it has all the same elements. There's still yeah. a lot of gore. There's still a lot of raunchy humor, but it just doesn't work in these two. And then uh, they did belatedly they did the the fourth one. Uh, the third one has a great title of the Toxic Avenger Part Three: The Last Temptation of Toxic. <laughs> yeah, that was clever. <laughs> That's about it. And the fourth one is Citizen Toxic: The Toxic Avenger Four. And this one. Uh, yeah, this one came out, how long was it? It came out 11 years after 3, mm -hmm. so it was one of those belated sequels, and it started, and I was like, God, oh, this is just as bad as the other two, but it's just, as it keeps going, it just takes such bizarre turns, even for this series, that I think it's the only other one besides the first one that's, you know, remotely watchable. Yeah. Mm. Well, that, uh, that's the only one of this set that I haven't gotten around to. I had seen number two years ago when I was a teenager, and it was so bad I never saw number three. So I thought, okay, I got this set. I'm going to watch it. Yeah, it was as bad as I thought it would be. But I am going to give number four a chance uh, before I put the set away on the shelf. So, uh, yeah, that's – but, yeah, it's just amazing how bad. And I think the voiceover narration does it for me in, two, in number two is just it's, – it's terrible. Uh, yeah. It's like, uh, we don't need voiceover of Toxic <laughs> Avengers. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, boy. What a wrong turn. So, anyway, Godzilla 4K. That's a Sony release, the 1998. Uh, <laughs> I'll let you take it on this one, too, because I didn't get a review copy, but I'm very familiar with it. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. Yes. Uh, yes. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> we're, we're talking about the American version from 98. Yes. Uh, made by the same people who did like Independence Day mm -hmm. and Start the Day After Tomorrow. Um, but this one is not not anything like the original, which I think you know is very fun and also has something important to say about you know nuclear weapons and such. This is just like it's just a dumb movie. It's just basically Matthew Broderick just. You know, like, oh, here's a big lizard. I'm going to go try to help other people stop it. And it's just, it's not fun at all. Uh, I just, yeah, there's not much to say about this one. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I, I don't know the, uh, the, the, the attempt to bring it back in, what was it, 2013 or 14 or whatever. I, I wasn't a big fan of that one either, so I, I don't know. It's, uh, <laughs> 
the, the attempts to bring Godzilla back, uh, you know, in Americanized versions have not been good, in my opinion. So. Probably. Oh, and this is one where they have two characters named uh, Mayor Ebert and his assistant Gene. Oh, that's right. Yep, yep. I'm giving battery used to earlier movies, and uh, <laughs> when he reviewed it, I remember Gene Siskel going like, "Well, you know, you're gonna put characters named after us in the movie. You should at least have us get eaten by the." You know, by the creature, we just stand around. We don't get eaten or anything. That's true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I remember Michael Lerner played Roger Ebert. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did thumbs up yeah. on the movie. Yeah. It I looks mean, a little bit like him too, so it's yeah. Funny. But Critical Back is fun, but you gotta have some wit to it. Yeah, that's guy right. Going around, does eat candy and do thumbs up. That's yeah, dumb. yeah, yeah. Make make it make it a little more clever. That's true. Meg Two, The Trench, 4K. Again, this is another one I did not get. Um, so you so you recently looked at this one, I believe. Yeah, uh, it's one of those. Uh, if you like the first one, you might get something out of this one. Uh, it's it's you know it's basically one of those sequels where it's the same thing, a little less exciting and interesting. It's just a case of Saturn again squaring off against a giant shark. Uh, but here they have like dinosaur type creatures, and they have a giant octopus. So they just pile everything on and. Yeah, you, know, you get what you pay for with this. Yeah, you pay your money, you take your chances. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, uh, so, well, the Shaw Brothers Classics Volume 3, this is um, another Shaw Factory release. Uh, you know, Shaw, Fact Shaw Brothers, of course, were you know, legendary Hong Kong studio. Killer Clan, Shaolin Avengers, Web of Death, Vengeful, Be Vengeful Beauty Death Duel, Life Gamble, Soul of the Sword, Deadly Breaking Sword, Clan of the White Lotus, Shaolin Abbott, and Shaolin Rescuers, 1976 to 1980. Uh, are the release dates of these films 11 movies uh, didn't get this one but uh, you know I have not gotten any of the Shaw Brothers collections from Shout Factory although I did get the ones from Arrow and I really enjoyed those those were a lot of fun so uh, yeah these film, films definitely have their charms even when they're well, even when they're not great they still there's still something to embrace about them so yeah, yeah. so uh, Red Dragon getting a four yeah. Four, oh, as you were, sorry, I'm moving along too fast. What were you saying? <laughs> exuberance of nothing else, you know, it's just everybody's taking such pleasure in doing all this this action that even when the plot lines get silly, you at least know there's going to be some good good martial arts work here. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, Red Dragon, 4K, this is Brett Ratner's um, redo of Manhunter, the, uh, the third in the uh, series of Hannibal Lecter films starring Anthony Hopkins, and... Again, I didn't get a review copy of this one, but you did, so you can talk about this one, too. <laughs> yeah, Brett Ratner obviously isn't my favorite director. <laughs> but I, I actually quite like this movie. Uh, I think when it you know, gets compared to Manhunter, so, of course, you know it's not going to be as highly regarded because Manhunter, obviously, the Michael Mann movie from the 80s, is really good. Uh, but this one, I think, is, is, is solid. It's just got such a great cast. Uh, everybody's really really well cast in this movie uh, anthony hopkins he's not like made the star just because you know he won the oscar for silence of the lambs he's a he's a supporting character and they keep him as a supporting character uh so those those dynamics are still at work there and then you know you have uh, edward norton and harvey Keitel and philip seymour hoffman in the role that Stephen lang played in the original uh that's always a harrowing scene uh so i think it was a it was a decent it's not even a remake. It's as much as a decent second attempt at um at doing the novel. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. It's uh, and I, I I'm with you. I, I do like it. I do like it. It's uh, I think it was unfortunately got a lot of you know the the reviews are kind of tepid, and I, I didn't quite understand it. So 
Uh, yeah, I, I would, and I would like to go back and rewatch that. So uh, we were speaking to Todd Browning earlier. This is a Todd Browning month. Here's the Devil Doll from Warner Archive. It's another one of the uh, the uh, Todd Browning films. I think it's second to last film he made, uh, 1936, and this is uh, the one I did get a chance to look at this one, and it's definitely an interesting film. Lionel Barrymore, who of course a couple of years later will play Mr. Potter in uh, It's a Wonderful Life, and here he's dressed as a woman. <laughs> Yeah, but he's a he's he's a, a recent, he's escaped from uh, the penitentiary and he's out to get revenge on the people who wrongfully got him imprisoned, and so he comes up with a device uh, that can shrink people and get them to to he gets uh, his shrunken people to go out and do his evil deeds so he can get his name cleared and. <laughs> <laughs> and you got uh, yeah, Marino Sullivan playing his daughter in the film. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think these effects are pretty impressive with the uh, the shrinking and all that. Oh, yeah. Are, yeah, it was uh, nineteen thirty six, so uh, it yeah. was definitely impressive. Uh, yeah, it's a fun little movie. It's one of those old, you know, horror programmers that just had so much imagination and you know such good actors in it that you just enjoy it. It's hard mm-hmm. not to. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I uh, I enjoyed it, and the transfer is immaculate. Warner Archive does such a great job going back to those uh, masters. They don't, they won't put anything out unless it's pristine. And so, you know, if it says Warner Archive, it's got the uh, stamp of quality right there. Uh, you can always be assured of that. And so, I was amazed at the uh, level of detail in the picture. And speaking of Warner Archive, here's another one: Palmetto from 1998. I thought this was an interesting choice for them to release this. Uh, I guess you'd call it a neo noir from. Uh, you know, the late 90s kind of films that we don't see anymore in theaters, uh, but you and I remember them quite fondly. When they yeah, used... and this, I was surprised, too, they brought this one out. And what surprised me even more was it was not a box office performer. Oh, no. I assume it found some sort of audience on VHS because if you go to, like, Blu-ray.com, there's so many people saying, oh, my God, they're finally releasing this one, and, you know, thank goodness, you know, I've been wanting to see it again. Uh, I, if I remember right, it did not get very good reviews when it came out, but I think it's a, I think it's a good meal in the line. Uh, throwback to the, the old 40s type. Uh, it's got a really interesting cast. You know, Woody Harrelson when he was still trying to break out of Cheers um, and have a movie career, and then Elizabeth Shue and Gina Gershon are both kind of cast, cast against type. Uh, I, I I think it's a good uh, good movie. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I was I was glad to see them reissue it. At first, I was totally shocked when I saw they were putting it out, but once I got past the shock, I, I thought. You know, this is good. This, this is actually good. I'm glad they're doing that. So, yeah. So, Black Sabbath is a keynote release. So this is a horror anthology from Mario Bava, but they're only issuing the American version. Boris Karloff, of course, uh, in the opening and closing segments that kind of frame the film or whatever, uses a framing device for the three stories or whatever. And, uh, yeah, this was uh, released in America by American International Pictures, and I, you know, I like it. I mean, you know, I'm, I, some people prefer the Italian version, but... Uh, I do. Uh, I like the American version fine. I, I think it uh, has its charms. Yeah, it certainly does. Uh, I I prefer the Italian, but as I suggested in my column, you know what they did was they switched the order for the American release, and I thought it was more effective in the Italian. Mm-hmm. You have it was good, and then the next one was even better, and then the last one was best. So I'm like, if you get the American one, just program your player to you know play them in the to order the Italian one. Uh, it's it's really effective. This is Bob right after he did uh, Black Sunday. He'd done a couple in between, of course, but these were the two that pretty much established, you know, helped establish his career as one of the top, you know, Italian imports for horror. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, he's he certainly made a name for himself and uh, would continue to do so for the next you know 20 years or so, I guess. Yeah. Um, so Dead Girl is a uh, is getting a 15th anniversary edition release. I have to admit I had not heard of this film. It somehow did not come up on my radar from 2008 about these uh, high school misfits who uncover a uh, a ghoulish type of creature in an abandoned hospital, and uh, it just was something that uh, you know I wasn't I wasn't familiar with. But horror fans will find those. Uh, those ones that <laughs> that the rest of us may overlook. <laughs> but uh, just wanted to uh, mention that this one is out. I'm trying to find the distributor. is Unearthed Films, yes. And this has some new extras, and it's a Blu-ray only. So just wanted to mention that uh, Dead Girls out there. Tombs of, Tombs of the Blind Dead getting a uh, Blu-ray release from Synapse Films. I know you got a chance to see this one. There's two cuts of the film on this one, and I think you pretty much uh, preferred the Spanish-language version on this one, I believe. Uh, uh, oh, I only watched the Spanish. Uh, oh, okay, okay. The other one, it, it's it's English-Spanish. They uh, It's it's like the English version, but they found the extra scenes that had been used in the Spanish one that weren't used in this one. Uh, so you get kind of go back and forth. Uh, but what's funny is it also, this is the movie that when the Planet of the Apes was doing huge business, they're like, how can we capitalize on this? And one of the American distributors saw this movie, which has nothing to do with apes. I mean, it's about, you know, a bunch of Knights Templar who rise up and, you know, start killing people. But they thought, well, we'll just have an introduction where it says that they were apes, not people, and that they're now back for revenge against the humans who, you know, subjugated them. <laughs> and then they released the <laughs> revenge from Planet Ape. So... The only, the only thing you get on that, that version here is that intro that shows the, the text crawl that explains that these are really apes, not humans. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah, those those hybrid films were, were a curio. There was quite a few of those uh, that they did. Beyond the Door was another one I remember. <laughs> it was really weird, you know, because they had American actors, but yet they're, uh, there's a different language coming out of their mouth. It's it's strange stuff, but uh, that, that thing they had going on back then. Uh, so the Paramount Scares, we alluded to this earlier. This is a new, supposedly the first in a continuing series of issues that uh, Paramount's going to be doing, I guess, maybe every, every year at Halloween. I don't know. But it's uh, Paramount Scares, Volume 1, 4K. Uh, it contains Rosemary's Baby, as we mentioned before, Pet Cemetery, Crawl, Smile, and uh, they had a mystery title, but the cat is out of the bag now. That was uh, Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street. That was the mystery title that they weren't going to talk about until the, the, it was released. I actually got a press release uh, telling me, please don't reveal the name of the mystery title until it's out there. Because <laughs> I think I let the cat out of the bag <laughs> by posting in a Blu-ray group, and I had to take that down. I didn't mean to. I just didn't know. I wasn't supposed to do that, so... Oh, a lot of people had guessed it. I was shocked by how, because I didn't know what it was going to be, and everybody was saying, oh, it's going to be Sweeney Todd. And a few people thought it was going to be a, like a new paranormal activity movie. That's supposed yeah. To be. So I'm glad it was Sweeney Todd out of those two <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, you yeah. It's like, if you, you know, you have to like all the movies, or you're not really getting your money for it. And I like just... other three, I'm, I, I don't need to own Crawl or Smile or... I know a lot of people love the 89 version of Pet Cemetery, but I always thought it was kind of silly. Uh, so, yeah, you know, two out of five movies for me, that's not that wouldn't be worth a purchase. But if you're just, you know, you're a completist or you just like everything, it's a, it's a good buy because it comes with a lot of cool little extras um, that fans would want to pick up. 
Yeah, there's a there's a reproduction of a, a Fangoria magazine that contains only articles about the films contained in the set, which is kind of neat. And there's some uh, a pendant there and some stickers. And yeah, it's it's an interesting, it's a well packaged uh, set. I was, uh, you know, for, for for horror fans, they're gonna they're gonna eat it up. That's for sure. Uh, it is a limited edition, although they're not numbered. I noticed that. I was curious. Uh, but anyway, uh, it the terror from beyond space, which eventually uh, the uh, the the makers of this film, I believe, sued the makers of the 1979 film Alien because of similarities in plot. But and it pretty much it is very similar. I have to. Uh, it's very agree. similar. <laughs> <laughs> I rewatched it again last night actually because uh, I saw I'd seen it before and enjoyed uh, it. And watching it again, it's it's. I mean, obviously it's not an exact similar thing, but there's uh, enough. That, you know, it's plane sneaks on a spaceship. And starts taking care of the the crew members one by one, and there's even a scene where they're crawling through the duct. Um, so, but it's it's effective. It's a '50s horror, uh, science fiction horror movie, and I think it's very well done. Yeah, yeah, it is, and it's so short, 69 minutes. Yeah, it's a uh, it's it gets in, gets out, gets a bit you know, more movie uh, these days, as we say. Uh, <laughs> where brevity is the <laughs> is is a lesson that can be taken from. <laughs> from these films uh, with these shorter running times because uh, a lot of what we're getting, uh, the longer running times do not uh, help these films, some of them. So anyway, Lorna the Exorcist is a, and It the Terror from Beyond Space is a Kino, if I didn't say that, and there's new commentary as well. Uh, Lorna the Exorcist is another Kino title release, and uh, they've got a new subdivision of their uh, label called Kino, uh, Kino Cult Classics, I think it is, or Kino Cult, and this is one of the first releases from that, uh, Lorna the Exorcist from 1974. You can get a review copy of this, but uh, I'm glad they're doing it. They're having getting their own cult uh, uh, label together because they're putting out a lot of cult films that certainly could uh, that will benefit from that. And uh, Before Night Falls is another Warner Archive release, uh, Oscar-nominated 2000 film uh, directed by Julian Schnabel and starring... Um, um, yeah, Javier Bardem, Oliver, uh, I'm sorry, let's see, who else is in this? Johnny Depp is in this, yes, that's what I was trying to say. <laughs> yeah, this is one that kind of put Javier Bardem on the map yeah, in yeah. this country. Uh, I, it's a terrific performance yeah. that I remember reading at the time that Jack Nicholson was so impressed that he was holding Oscar watch parties, inviting his friends to come over just to see this performance. Uh, so it's a, it's a good movie, yeah. And yeah, this is the one where you get to see Johnny Depp in drag. <laughs> yep, that's the one. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Before Night Falls, uh, I think most of these extras may have been on the uh, previous DVD. You get the commentary with Julian Schnabel and the composer uh, Carter Burwell and documentary shorts. And so, there, you know, there's some, there's uh, a few extras there. Christopher Strong, 1933, another Warner Archive release. I didn't get a review copy of this one. Don't know if you did or not. I can't remember. Yeah, I did. It's um, your early Catherine Hepburn, one of her very first movies. Uh, not one of her best, though. It's, okay. It's interesting. And, and her, um, the love interest is Colin Clive, you know, who is Dr. Frankenstein and the original Carla Frankenstein. And, yeah, he's, he's not really anybody's idea of a love interest in movies. So that was kind of kind of odd casting. But um, anyway, if you just want to see her in one of her earliest roles, it's fun to watch. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, I may skip that. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Yeah, so, uh, and, and there's uh, the director, Beth B., who's made a few small films, and uh, she made one in 1993 called uh, Two Small Bodies, and that's one of the keynote releases as well. I didn't get around to cracking this one open, but it's, uh, I think it's a neo-noir, uh, too, as well. It's uh, Fred Ward, Susie Amis, um, you know, the late Fred Ward, 
Uh, but th there's a new interview with Beth B. and an interview with Susie Amos, who is the, also Mrs. Uh, James Cameron, as we all know. So uh, two small bodies from Kino. And so we'll, uh, we're down to just the last couple here. We'll get this done. A Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. And this is a two-hour and 45-minute Part 1. <laughs> I liked what you said in your print column about... Um, this being, uh, you know, the the, uh, the uh, Brian De Palma being the only one under. <laughs> yeah, which is unusual. But, uh, yeah, but no, this is, I've, I've, I've enjoyed this series, except for that silly number two that John Woo did. Yeah. Uh, it's, I think it's really amazing how consistent this has been. I'm really surprised I didn't do better at the box office, especially coming off, you know, him coming off Top Gun Maverick. Which yeah, me too. Apparently saves cinema or some nonsense, but, uh yeah, but I think it did well enough, especially internationally, that thankfully we will get a part two. So it won't leave us hanging. Yeah, yeah. And I hear that they're actually going to retitle that. Uh, they're thinking, well, I don't know that they've officially made that decision, but the the word on the street is they're going to possibly call it something other than part two because of the uh, lackluster performance of the first installment that they may just go with, uh, you know, I don't know what they're going to call it, but I'm hearing that the part two may be left off. So we, we shall see to be continued. But yeah, solid solid film. Maybe not quite as good as the last two entries, uh, but uh, you know, I think the I think it may have reached its apex with number four for me, uh, the one Brad Bird directed. But uh, yeah, that, they're all good, like you said, except for number two uh, is kind of and that's surprising considering John Woo is a is a great Asian filmmaker when he's making films in his uh, native Hong Kong, but not so much when he's on. American turf. Space Office is only good American movies. I yeah, that's true. That's true. So anyway, uh, but yeah, and then, and by the way, if you're looking to demo your system, this is an amazing disc. I mean, the uh, the sound, the pictures, is uh, incredible. So yeah, it's put that on the top of the list if you want to demo something for somebody. Uh, that's that's the way to go. Uh, we have a uh, Blue Beetle, which you did get a copy of. I didn't get a copy of this one, and we can quickly talk about this if you want to. Oh, yeah, just uh, more superhero shenanigans. Uh, <laughs> uh, Lesser-known DC character, and for DC, it's you know not bad when you look at their track record. Uh, it's it's better as a just a domestic drama, actually, than a superhero movie. All that kind of gets – it's the same old, same old. Uh, so I gave this one a mixed review. It, it's certainly more enjoyable than Man of Steel or the – 12-hour Justice League, or however long it was. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Aquino has issued a uh, trio of ninja films, American Ninja, American Ninja 2, and Enter the Ninja. We'll go ahead and knock those all out at one time. Yeah, getting special editions on all three of those. Uh, Michael Dudikoff in the American Ninja series, and, and Enter the Ninja was, I think, a couple of years before that. So, yeah, I didn't get any of these. Didn't haven't, haven't seen them, can't really... Uh, comment on them. I know they were they were a thing there for a while. Yeah, the Franco Nero one especially, uh, the uh, Enter the Ninja. Yeah, right. Yep. So, uh, so anyway, uh, the complete um, complete Rankin Bass Christmas collection. You get all of the uh, the Rankin Bass TV specials from '64 to '85. That's Rudolph and Frosty and uh, etc. and so on. Those are all out there. Uh, Universal issuing. And those are Blu-ray, by the way. Uh, Universal issue re reissuing uh, the um, the Hitchcock titles that were in the uh, the recent Hitchcock classics collection, 
Uh, they're putting those out separately as well. And these include Rope, The Man Who Knew Too Much, Torn Curtain, Topaz, Frenzy. Uh, I didn't get any of these. I have the old Blu-ray Hitchcock box. Some of these are good, some of them not so much, but, you know, there's always joy to be had in Hitchcock, so... Yeah, Topaz might be the... I don't know if it's the weakest, but it's one of the weakest Hitchcock uh, movies. I would um, tend to agree, yeah. I think Frenzy is a really... I love Frenzy, to be quite honest. Yeah, yeah. and Rope, I think, is really underrated. Yep. I think that's, yep. that's a lot of fun, too. Agreed, yes. So, Mad City is a Warner Archive release. I know you recently reviewed this one in your print column. Dustin Hoffman, John Travolta, this was Costa Gavras' attempt at... Uh, you know, <laughs> satire, yeah. I don't know, <laughs> maybe satire, I don't know how you would categorize it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Said when Jay Leno is a highlight of a movie, you know, it's a bad movie, so. <laughs> yeah, this was another Warner Archive release that really surprised me, that uh, because it has not been reissued since the early days of the DVD format in 97, so shocking, shocking, shocking. That it would uh, that it would warrant a release, but you know I I don't know I guess they're fans. What do I know? Yeah. So it uh, has to be because it, uh, yeah it was a box office bomb. It did not make good reviews. I think you know maybe they're just capitalizing on you know Dustin Hoffman and John Travolta. You got two huge stars there, and you're right. Maybe so many of the programming department was like, hey, I like this one. Let's put this one out because this is one I can't believe there's a huge want to see. But at the same time, I'm never going to knock any new release because you know there's always going to be fans for somebody. And as you say, you know you got to keep the format alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I'm I'm glad they're they're doing the doing that work. And one more Warner Archive release: Dance Fools Dance. Joan Crawford. This is a pre-code uh, film with Joan Crawford, one of her early ones. So uh, I, Clark Gable. Yeah, that's right, Clark Gable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't. Uh, I did not get this one either, so this is one that uh, I was. And uh, but uh, Double Trouble is the other Warner Archive. I knew. I'm sorry, I missed that one. Uh, yeah. What more can you say about this one? Just uh, speaking. Elvis. Elvis shenanigans. <laughs> the late yeah. career Elvis shenanigans. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Those movies just really got worse when they got towards the end. There, there just wasn't a whole lot of positive things to say about any of them. But uh, anyway, and then Witness is an Arrow release, and that's uh, first time ever in 4K. That's a that's a uh, a good film for sure, I would say. Uh, Oscar nominated, critically well received. Uh, Harrison Ford's Oscar nomination. It just seems so weird that he's only had one after this really long superstar career. Yeah, yeah, it is amazing. Yep, uh, you know he's of course a detective who's forced to try to. He has to go to Amish country to solve a mystery, uh, a murder. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, Kelly McGillis is the love interest. Yeah, good stuff if you haven't seen it. So, uh, yeah, this is about uh, – we're, we're at the tail end here. Uh, there are a couple of titles uh, that I got late. I'll just mention them. Uh, these may have been September titles, but Cats Don't Dance uh, is uh, one archive release. Uh, it has, includes a couple of extra cartoons, Daffy Duck in Hollywood, What's Up, Doc, Showbiz Bugs, Curtain Razor. Yeah, uh, this is, uh, you know, Randy R. Newman doing the song score here. This was an animated film that just did not do very well when it came out originally. And uh, so, yeah. Uh, Saratoga with Clark Gable, Gene Harlow, and Lionel Barrymore. This is, uh, you know, it was the sixth teaming of Gene Harlow and Clark Gable. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's... Uh, it's they, yeah, right before she she died. That's they right, yeah. Finish it. And, um... Yeah, the studio wanted to replace her, and the fans were like, you know, no, I mean, we want to see her one last time. 
and it was a wise decision to keep her in rather than we cast in the role because it was a yeah agreed very wise decision for sure so uh and then one other blu-ray that i have is the fog of war the academy award winning best documentary feature from 2003 i haven't seen this since it originally came out but it's a uh, it's basically uh, robert mcnamara who was uh, the secretary of defense under kennedy and johnson and he's basically doing a mea culpa on his decisions during the vietnam war era decisions that led us into a really uh, bad chapter in our country's history and so uh, it's Errol Morris directing this and this is a very compelling documentary uh, I can't wait to dig in and watch it again uh, I really liked it the uh, com the book that he it's based on uh, I think the idea sprang from a book that he did a couple of years before this and the book was equally good as well uh, it was called in retrospect I read that uh, too so that's good good stuff um, and a couple of DVD releases uh, not not blu-ray but the life and times of Allen Ginsberg is a new uh, release on DVD from Kino Lorbert's a documentary about the life and times of Allen Ginsberg from 1999 and the storms of Jeremy Thomas. Jeremy Thomas is a uh, film producer and uh, basically the documentary Mark Cousins gets in a car with him on the way to the Cannes Film Festival and they talk about his career. And so uh, that's a Kino release as well. The Last Emperor, if I remember right. What, what was that? I'm sorry, I missed the... Oh, I said I think he's the one who uh, produced The Last Emperor. That's correct, yes, that is right. Yes, The Last Emperor. Yes, uh, you are right. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. And uh, David Cronenberg's Crash and and uh, the uh, Nick Rogue, we go back to an earlier conversation piece, Bad Timing, he produced that as well. So uh, the one with Eric Garfunkel. So, well, I think that concludes our October 2023 recap of uh, of releases. Boy, there were a lot of them. I didn't realize. <laughs> there was a boatload of them. Uh, and I appreciate you uh, joining us. This has been uh, a lot of a lot of fun uh, bantering it up, as it were, about our uh, our, our mutual admiration for uh, the physical disc format that we uh, we still beat the drum yeah. loudly for it, and uh, I'm I'm glad that it's still that it's still happening. Uh, you know, who knows? They're saying maybe another decade, but you know, I think 4K is the final stop for discs. I can't imagine there being another format upgrade after this because the human eye can only detect so much picture information. So I think this is. This is pretty much it. So once we get it in 4K, I think that's it. And so, uh, I think I, until they implant them in your eyes, <laughs> this is probably it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, if, is there anything you want to uh, promote before we go, or uh, that you've got uh, that you're doing, or you want to promote your uh, film frenzy again? Uh, just anything. I'll give you a, a chance. There, uh, there's some good stuff you'll probably be talking about next month, but there are the five uh, first Marx Brothers movies coming out. Uh, that's actually been out before, but it is a set, now they're individual. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, a favorite, The Guns of Navarone, is coming out in a Steelbook 4K. Yes. And my site, again, is www.thefilmfrenzy.com. Mm -hmm.